Comic Familia. Good to see you virtually broadcasting from somewhere on Spaceship Earth. This podcast is long overdue. You know what? I actually am at the time of this film and getting ready to go to Dallas Fan... Nope, Denver! There's so many conventions I'm going to, Comic Fam. Denver Fan Expo this weekend. So if I saw you... It was a pleasure. But without further ado, the comic sensei, the Overstreet Price Guide advisor, Russ Bright, is here for the first time on the Bags and Boards podcast number 65. My brother, how you feeling? I am, I'm incredible. I, I'm I'm glad to be here. I'm <laughs> it only took four years to get me on the podcast, but you know I'm busy and I know you're busy, and it's one of those things sometimes schedules don't align, and I'm happy to be here for the first time. Good to be seeing different people in the comic fam than I normally do on the trending ten video, and I hope that I'll be able to do this more often with you. This is a bit different, man. I'm excited to have a conversation with you because the trending video has turned into a beast. We used to do so many more videos, but the trending became the thing that we had to put so much time and effort into that it became the priority of the week. Thus, when there's a podcast that takes an hour and a half to record and hours to script, it's kind of like, yo, we're going to focus on the trending. And, you know, we got Fire Guy Ryan. We got the Golden Age Guru, you know, tough book guy. Golden Age specialist who kind of been focused on those podcasts, but I'm glad to get you back here. We're going to chat about how we met. I mean, it's been four years that we've been doing the trending list. We just celebrated that last week. Big shout out to us. But also, we've been doing this stuff for over four years on YouTube. So we're going to get into a little bit of our history. We're going to talk about some big moments of our past because both of us started pressing and fixing comics and getting really dangerous with grading. You were a big influence on me and my journey with that. So we'll get into that. I want to talk about Milky Comics, the LCS, my local comic shop. But how many years have you been in business now? We are actually about to celebrate 10 years as a brick and mortar on the 15th of July. So two weeks from now, it will be 10 years as a brick and mortar store. So we're going to get into that, how you did it, maybe some things you wish you would have done differently and the wins, the losses and all the above. Not before I tell the community about the sponsor of the show, easily the best new place to buy and sell collectibles, whatnot available for both Androids and iPhones. I'm on the app and Russ, you're on the app. I have said on the mic, and you don't have to share this opinion, but I'd be interested to hear yours. I think this is the best introduction, the best new place to buy and sell comic books since eBay. It's completely and totally groundbreaking. It is one of those things that nothing can compare to selling on whatnot. It is difficult. It is not for everyone. There is something about the fast-paced nature of you've got these 15, 30-second, 60-second auctions, people bidding against each other, and being able to be live on camera or have your books live on camera. It is completely and totally revolutionary. That's right. I'm having so much fun. And those who have figured it out, who have found a liking, and a lot of the individuals who are finding success are ones who have already been kind of attempting the social media grind of selling comics. I'm talking like Instagram stories, rather Instagram live sales, um, even Facebook live sessions. There's a lot of individuals over the last few years who have started to get their feet wet trying that out. And then whatnot comes in and offers an entire platform that's specifically designed to 
automate and to better assist the selling of valuables, specifically comics, in the last year. They have brought on vetted sellers, sellers like you and myself, Mm -hmm. and we also have the Whatnot Wednesday squad that starts out at 2 p.m. every single Wednesday with Gem Mint from Gem Mint Collectibles. It's your boy, Gem Mint. We have Nerdy Girl Comics from... Um, Instagram, you know her on the con floor as Danielle, but she hits the mic at 3 p.m. Russ, you go live at 4 p.m. I go live every 5 o'clock on Wednesday with Heron Heavens. 6 o'clock, comic pops. My dad, I got him back into comics. (laughs) 7 o'clock, we have Sammy and Tony, Skeleton Key Comics. 8 p.m., the powerful Rage Theo. Golden Age Guru hits the mic at 9 p.m., and we end the day strong with the talented Nate Johnson. When it's dope, it's likely that Nate made it and you can get some original art from him. The other way you can support the show is to join the Mystery Mail Call. This is the curated subscription box where we send members a box of comics monthly, $35 plus shipping, and every month we pick out an exclusive. We make it for the box, one per box in the July box. Every member's getting a cover Art done by legendary Marvel artist Gary Frank, a classic Electra on Daredevil number one. There's other books that go in there. I like to do secret variants and so much more. Directly support the show by hitting the link in the description or go to Whatnot and find me at Comic Tom 101 by typing in the username. But the link is down below. Where can they find you, Russ? Milgi Comics on Instagram and Whatnot. And let's begin the show. Russ. We have been friends for over a decade, and we met backstage at a System of a Down concert. Shout out John Dalman. I still remember that like it was yesterday, and I just, I've got photos of holding the backstage pass, and I remember our mutual friend John Hill gave me a call. He's like, hey, dude, you like System of a Down? I'm like, of course I like System. They're awesome. They're getting back together. They're touring. You want to go to a show? Uh, of course I do. Well, I got tickets. I kind of know the guy who's the drummer. I'm like, okay, John. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Let's go see System. So I didn't know who I was going to be meeting there. I didn't know I would be meeting you or your dad. But I do know that I had been selling and buying comics from John Hill for a couple years by that point in time. So it was, you know, absolutely happy coincidence that you guys happened to be there. Yeah, we're... You know, I, I consider John family, you know, like we have the comic fam and then we have like the inner comic fam circle of like the people I grew up with. And then we have like comic pops, who's my literal dad. Right. right. <laughs> so John Hill is part of the inner comic fam. He was the dealer that my dad sold comics with when I was like 11, 12, 13 years old. So I've been friends with John Hill. I consider him an uncle this entire time. And because he is a major dealer in the Pacific Northwest, has one of the biggest shops in Washington. He's been friends with John Delman, who's the owner of Torpedo Comics, one mm-hmm. of the largest comic stores in the world, right? So I was so hyped to find out that I got an invite to go see System of a Down because John had some extra tickets. And when I was introduced to you, it was really fun because John saw a networking opportunity between us. He knew that I was getting really into comics in my early 20s, and he also knew my dad Used to be into comics. Maybe he would come back and foreshadowing, he would. And now he buys from both you and John, which is really funny. Right. Full circle. But when he introduced me to you, he said, Russ sells a lot of comics as well. And he may even travel to you to get you the books you need. Like you were a (laughs) damn drug dealer. And legit, it was kind of like you were. Well, 
Meeting John Hill was a great experience, and the fact that I was buying comics out of his garage, I was looking to sell bulk. I mean, this is I, when John had a garage. Th- this is back when John this had is a garage. The store, right, right, right. Oh my so, god, so um, funny. I was able to go there and I would buy twenty to thirty long boxes from him every single time. Take it back to my garage, and I had an eBay store, and I was selling stuff on my eBay store. And one of the funny things was about half the boxes I bought on one or two of those trips all had Geek Street stickers. <laughs> so I didn't know. Oh I asked gosh. I asked John Hill, and I'm like, hey, who's this geekster? He's like, oh, some guy named Luis. You'll probably meet him someday. So flashback, comic fan. When my dad, there's, I got to have my dad on this podcast eventually right. to rehab some of these conversations because the channel's you know, kind of old, and the content wasn't as good back then. I appreciate those who've stuck with us this long. But if you want to see Comic Pops on the channel again to talk about a little bit of our history, comment down below. Also, I'll remind you, it'll enter you to win this Invincible number 1 Tyler Kirkham Omnivan variant. Also, the podcast is available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes. If you don't have time to watch us, or if you don't pay for YouTube Red and have to play the video while you listen to us, my dad, when he really ventured into comic books the first time and he bought a store. The store plan was to travel to Washington with the inventory because he bought the collection from a store in New York by a dude who, by the way, got out of comics and is back in comics now over the last year. Shout out random stacks on whatnot. No one ever leaves. Full circle. Yeah. Right. You, you leave comics and you come back eventually. You know, you say goodbye, but you know it's not a long goodbye. <laughs> it's just, uh, we'll see you another time in the future. Well, my dad drove up this collection with the intentions to start a comic store in Washington State and then realized he didn't want to do that. So he started selling at shows and on eBay. And with the help of my mom, they printed out labels and he came up with the name Geek Street Comics. So this entire collection, when he priced it, he put these stickers on the books, on the bags rather, that said Geek Street and it said the price. So you, without knowing my dad or myself, right. were acquiring comics from John because yes. my dad had sold comics to John at some mm-hmm. point over the last decade. And you're like, what are all these Geek Street comics? Those were from my dad right. and we didn't even know each other. So one of the first big collections that I was actually buying from another local dealer who I ended up being very good friends with. Yes, already one click away from Tom because I'm buying them from the guy that bought them from his dad. That's right. Yep. So you were... Slinging these comics, and we met at a show. And I told you after we met, I'm like, oh, I got to get your phone number, dude. Because <laughs> the thing is, is that John lived kind of far away. Yeah. You know, he's like an hour. John plus was like drive. 50, 50 miles south of where I was living. So I would drive down to where John Hill was and pick up all the comics and drive back. I find out that Tom lives like eight miles away from me. I'm like, oh, I will totally bring comics to your place. Let's let's get some deals going. So I'm buying like stuff off eBay. I'm getting, I'm going in. I'm starting to really enjoy the acquisition of comics. This is before I'm selling or anything. Before I even figured out that, oh, if I if I buy savvy and I let stuff go at the right time, I can upgrade and you know start the hobby, you know, the gem mint style, you know, let the hobby fund That's itself kind of thing. Mint. And I was collecting Invincible at the time. Mm-hmm. So you put me in your phone. You probably made a note about me being interested in Invincible. Like a freaking drug dealer puts their client's preferences, <laughs> you know, in the notes. It said Tommy Comics was actually what I put <laughs> you in into my phone. So I knew who you were. <laughs> so we would go have this experience at, at uh, System of a Down concert. Yep. We'd go backstage, um, get some, you know, they had like a refrigerator. There was no like alcoholic beverages. Right. It was a bunch of like... 
you know, juice and soda. And we got to see Chavo from a distance. It was a really cool time. Right. But you would end up hitting me up within a week telling yeah. me, yo, I just acquired some Invincible stuff. And you blew my mind when you told me that you had a graded Invincible comic. And I knew what that was, but I didn't want it until now. Right. So what ended up happening? You started like hitting me up, coming over to my apartment. Oh, yeah. And this is what you would do. You would say, yo, I have a couple books. And I'm thinking you were going to bring like three or four books because I saw the picture. You want me to bring these over? And I'd be like, yeah, you bring them over. But you would never bring just three to four books. Oh, you no. always brought a short box. Everything. Yes. I bring a lot of good stuff because a, a, a good seller, you're going to want to, well, I wanted to make package deals for you. <laughs> hey, Tom wants an $80 book, but I'm going to bring a whole short box and maybe we can add some extra. Here's some Silver Age you might like. Oh, I heard you like this guy too. How about this one? You know, I mean, this is well before he had the Plastic Man tattoo, but. True. You know what I did have at the time? I had my Hellboy tattoo. You did. And one of the books that you brought in that short box blew my mind. Was that the San Diego Comic-Con one? I knew it existed, but I'd never seen it. And it's one thing to know, like you hear it, hearsay, like that yeah, is first appearance is in a pamphlet that was given away at San Diego Comic-Con in 1993, was mm -hmm. it? Well, this particular opportunity was not just getting invincible books, but you had one of these in there and you shared the story about it, how you acquired a collection, you paid really good money for the collection, and you didn't know you had a really scarce wanted collectible and you figured it out by going through the price guide, yep. pricing it and finding out, no, this is actually Hellboy's first appearance. Well, I bought the collection and this is kind of the thing. So I got this collection, a dealer called me and said, hey, I know a guy who's got blah, blah, blah. So I went over and I paid, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars for, you know, 20, 30 long boxes, whatever the deal was. And I get the collection back to my house Every single issue number one is gone. None of these are complete runs. I've got two through 50, two through 80, two through 12, but the dude that sold me the collection took every single issue number one. So I've got a Sandman run, missing Sandman number one. I've got an Invincible run, missing Invincible. So I'm not happy. This is like cherry picking is what we oh, call yeah, this. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Someone cherry picked all the number ones out of the collection and I did not take the time to look, which is why right now, if a collection comes in, I look at every single book in that box. I have to know exactly what's in there because you'll have someone go, oh yeah, they're complete runs. No, they're not. You took every single number one out of it. But I went and I did my research and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, New Teen Titans number two, that's a book I care about. You know, that's San Diego Comic-Con number two, that's a book I care about. So I started finding what a lot of the important number twos, threes, and fours were so I could make my money out of this. But I knew Tom was a big Hellboy fan and immediately, and I'm like, well, I don't have the Dime Press 4, but here's the other one that people want. And that's what like started our friendship. You would acquire comics. I would buy comics from you. And over time, you would take on the sensei role with me because I would start venturing out and looking for collections myself. Like, how do I do this, Russ? And this is before Craigslist was saturated. Guys, this is over 10 years ago. So the uh, I remember being at the Meridian Park show and Hold on, let's let's describe what Meridian Park okay, is. Okay, so Meridian Park is a middle school, like you know, junior high, seventh, eighth grade, and there was a cafeteria show once every three months, and you would pay like twenty-five bucks for a folding table, and it would basically be fifteen or twenty comic book dealers that were all local guys. And as I always joked with you about and the rest of the dealers, every dealer was just passing 
passing the same $100 bill around the room. We didn't have a lot of people coming in. You weren't making a lot of money. This isn't was, during school hours, by the way. It was a great way to network <laughs> on a Sunday. That's right. To Sundays. be able to go down on Sunday to Meridian Park and sell. But this guy had a mid-grade Hulk 181. Uh, and Tom's looking at getting a Hulk 181, and he comes over to me because he knows I'm, you know, John, John Hill had told Tom, go talk to Russ. He'll help you with this one. Tom's like, what do you think? Is $500 a fair deal for this one? And I'm looking at it going, all right, it has the value stamp. It has this. We started going over little basic things of like, if you don't really know, this is about fair, but always check for your value stamp. It's number one thing for the Hulk 181. And Tom ended up pulling the trigger on a mid-grade Hulk 181. Yeah, it ended up being um, like a 7.5. It was under 500 bucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a while ago. That right. was a that was a lot of money for oh, that yeah. book back then. And that was one of the biggest purchases I made at the time. And what's also curious because of Meridian Park, you know, and this is one of those things where if, you know, I hope this story may help some of the newer members because networking in this industry is what it's all about. Absolutely. And the only way you're going to network is by going to conventions and shows. And not every show is a commitment of like $500 for you to be able to go to San Diego. Right. And you have to pay for a plane ticket and parking and Uber and all this kind of stuff. No, there are shows all over the place. Literally, we're talking about an elementary school, middle school mm-hmm. cafeteria room that was just, you know, rented out for a day for dealers like us to go and you know, comic book deal. But my dad and I, we used to go to like malls and there was just a, dude, Everett Mall, what was it, two months ago? Yeah. I was just buying comics from the Everett Mall. Um, They rented out all like the, the alleyways of the mall, like where you would typically walk down, just taken over by tables. You have to open that network up and go to where the comics are, meet the people, do right by them. Mm -hmm. And over time, you just start networking. And I'm glad you mentioned Meridian Park because aside from that being one of the first times I've acquired a bigger book that made me uncomfortable, but I'm glad I bought it at the time, that was also where I would meet a guy named Jeff Itkin, the Golden Age Guru. Book has hit 20 bucks, let off the gas, Colin Fennel unless you're really gutting for some Jack Kirby goodness. $75 cover price on this, don't overbid, but if somebody wants it, we got it. Let, yeah, let's yeah. let's actually transition this conversation to how Jeff comes in because now we're friends, right? Right. We're dealing. I'm getting collections. You're helping me with pull up your overstreet, learn your overstreet. Right. There are minor keys yeah. in that Spider-Man run, and I would learn about those kind of things. Totally, but you get to the point where you find a collection on Craigslist or offer. I went, I bought a collection. It was a big collection. That's how you met him was just I did, the collection, through right? through Craigslist. And I bought, it was an 88 long box collection. I went down and I met him at a storage unit, and then he basically sold me 88 long boxes and was there while I loaded everything up and drove them away. Didn't give it a second thought, didn't keep his number in my phone. And then six months later, I respond to another Craigslist ad. Someone has a short box of Silver Age fair to Midland keys, right? And there's a bunch of stuff that's, you know, amazing Spider-Man, but no, you know, second, third, fourth Wilson Fisk, but no first Kingpin. Okay, cool. And I go and I meet the guy. 
and it's Jeff again. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, I got to keep you in my network. We're, we're going to be hanging out a little bit more than this because it was more than coincidence that I respond to two collections on Craigslist and it's this dude. So I'm at Meridian Park. You're set up. I'm set up. We're walking around. And oh, you know what it was? It's been a minute since we chatted about this, but um, I was getting into eBay, purchasing comics on eBay. And it was, I was being, I was feeling FOMO. A real sure. eBay FOMO for the first time. And let me describe the FOMO I was feeling. I remember hitting you up going, oh, my God, dude. I think I overpaid for a book. So 129? Was, yeah, yeah. Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man 129, which I wish I still had, by the I way. I know, I know. But I bought, like, a VG copy. It was a few hundred bucks. But at the time, it was, like, overpaying by, like, a hundred-plus dollars. Right. And full disclosure, you know, I was, like, 21 years old. Right. I was drinking a little bit. And eBay notifies you, hey, this is ending. And I'm like, first Punisher? Click on it, click on it. I got to get it, I got to get it. So I got it. And I remember sending you a picture going, dude, did I overpay? And you responded with, we'll be able to like, we'll be able to find a trade for you. Like, (laughs) Like, it wasn't a, no, you didn't overpay. It was a, we're going to get you out of this, right? (laughs) So you told me to bring it to Meridian Park. Yeah. And what ended up happening is, Jeff was there. He was set up. The golden age guru. I had never met this guy before, but you knew him from these past dealings you're describing. And you knew him to have a lot of just dope, low grade, but still awesome golden age books. And you set up a trade with me and I would meet Jeff. He put together, um, it, what, what, it was Two-Fisted Tales. It was a bunch of yeah, Two-Fisted Tales. Yeah, a bunch of EC Tales. comics, yeah. And I was really introduced to EC with that deal. And he also threw in a uh, first Talia Al Ghul on top of it, which, by oh, the way, right. that, was, yep. it was gorgeous, mm-hmm. by the way. So that deal happened. I would meet Jeff for the first time, be introduced to Golden Age books, kind of get help from a bad situation where I thought I really overpaid because at the time I really did. I learned so much between both of you guys that I knew, well, you were already in my network. I was learning so much from you, but now Golden Age Guru's here and he's someone I got to keep in touch with. And I'm glad we did. It's a fantastic thing, but make friends with everyone. And this is one of the reasons why you don't burn bridges. This is the one of the reasons why you keep all of these things as friendly as possible because bad gas travels fast and you would rather have a good network of people who can help you find collections. People who can go in. I mean, I've gone in collections with you and Jeff and your dad. So when I have other people in my network, I can say, hey guys, this collection's a little more than I want to spend. Or, hey, Jeff, this is a collection that's all golden age. It's not my wheelhouse. It's not one that I'm going to get into. How about I kick you this one? And it's great to have more collectors that you can work together because we're all stronger together. That's right. I mean, you never know what you're going to get, right? Box of chocolates kind of thing with collections. And, you know, if there's a bunch of gold, it sounds awesome. I would love me some gold. But people who have gold know they have gold. Yeah. And you also want to do everything right. So that's what I would bring the Golden Age Guru in because he deals with that stuff. He has that network. I love gold. And I would love to get a dope, expensive Golden Age book. But I know that I got to get the expert. And there's also times where we're going through collections and it's like, it's a lot. It's a lot of books. I don't have an LCS. Mm -hmm. You have an LCS. You can put out lawn boxes to your community every day and have people who come in looking for fresh comics. So it's also like, unless you're going to hoard hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lawn boxes, there's going to be a time where you need to have your network because 
there's someone else who can make more money off of that collection, get those comics to the right buyer faster than you could. And then in turn, you're spreading comic karma around and that's going to inevitably come back to you. Mm -hmm. Very true. All right. So there was a point then in this journey that you decided you wanted to start a comic book store and it was almost 10 years ago to this, to this month, man. Mm -hmm. Like it's, you're coming up on your anniversary. Congratulations. Let's chat about Mill Geek Comics because you did a you made a decision that my dad decided not to do. Right. You saw the opportunity and you went from your garage to a brick and mortar. Why make that decision? And let's chat about the pros, the cons, what you would do differently if you could go back in time. You know, well, Mill Geek Comics in Mill Creek, Washington, open right now. You can go visit the store. We we are open right now. So the the reason why we opened a brick and mortar store, um, I was a stay at home dad. I was working on eBay. I was selling a bunch of stuff, and I was at the point where eBay was doing really really well, but collections were getting dry. So all of a sudden, I'm talking to Tom. Hey, how do we get more collections? Well, you open a store and you try and bring in collections. That was the idea. And we opened the store and the collections weren't coming in. And then I kind of scaled back on eBay and I tried to diversify too quickly. And I'm very glad that I opened the store. I'm glad I got the foothold that I did. But um, we weren't making money quickly. We weren't in a great location. Rent was expensive. New comics are expensive. Collections are expensive. It's just one of those things that we had to start finding other things to make money because new comics are a really, really tough thing to break into. Yeah, I think there's a thing that people can learn because I think in this new, I, I don't think of it. I don't think this. We've been through this. We know this to be the case. New members are in our community who have this wish they're this longing to open a comic book store. Really, the question that you have to answer yourself is, what kind of comic book store? Because out here in Washington, mm -hmm. uh, we just talked about John Hill, Hills of Comics. Yeah, there's a lot of comics in his store. They call them Hills of Comics for a reason. Right. Half his store is toys, video yes. games. Yep. Diversify. Right. Right. Magic the gathering. Yeah, find what you can do. And that was something that we did back in 2012 when we first opened. We started running magic tournaments. And for a while, we were running some of the largest magic tournaments in Washington State. We would get upwards of 250 people show up over the course of a weekend to come for new magic tournaments. For a little while, we were doing uh, Warhammer 40K. We were doing tabletop gaming. We had a lot of D&D &D in there. We had a computer lab where people came in and played League of Legends. We tried to do um, Cards Against Humanity and Settlers Catan and just these other... D&D. Like I mean, all of these things we were really working on. And it just got to the point where you could spread yourself so thin and make almost no money on anything. Or what we did in the last few years, we scaled back entirely and went 100% comics. And I'm very happy that I'm at the point where all we really do now is comic books COVID definitely accelerated that. The fact that we couldn't have the magic players in the shop, the fact that we couldn't have the D and D kind groups of forced in the your shop, hand a it little did bit. force our hand. But the fact that I already had a big pile of inventory, I've got the expertise. I've been doing this professionally for almost 15 years now, right. even though the, the brick and mortar for a decade, I mean, it's been worth doing, but you're going to find some time. If you open a store, you're going to find some time where one thing's not working 
do you stop that entirely or do you add something to it? And if you add that thing and another thing and another thing, is it too complicated with five different things? What do you focus on? And uh, with the magic, it got to the point where we were still making magic sales, but I was spending 80% of my time on 20% of the money coming in. Right. And it just really wasn't worth that when I started looking at how much I had to put into it and how much I was getting out of it. That's actually one of the um, biggest areas of opportunity whenever I've chatted with an LCS who's seeking advice. And I've even sent them over to you. We've had LCS owners that literally show up in your store asking for help. I always ask them to bring me a latte. Again, (laughs) this is the cheap version of a TED Talk. You want to sit down and have a chat? Grab me a latte. We'll go upstairs. We'll chat for a couple hours and you can pick my brain. I'm totally open for people to ask me about that. And shout out to the members who've reached out and we've tried to help in the the past few years. Some of them are still doing well. Some of them have gone Mm -hmm. because they realized, wow, starting a comic store was not what I expected it to be. They thought they we're just going to be dealing comics. When in reality, we have stores out here that are legit half geek boutiques is what they describe themselves. Mm-hmm. And they also sell comics where you can get like vintage clothing, you know, necklaces and fun things that are in that geek genre. Oh, sure. But then you can get your Batman comic because right. that's how they have to diversify. But they're selling pop figures and they're selling, sure. you know, other types of collectibles. And I understand there's definitely a niche for that. And that's one of the reasons why I think Whatnot has done such a fantastic job for people like that because you don't need a brick and mortar store to be able to go, look at everything in my store. But at the same point in time, someone on Whatnot's not necessarily going to have an extensive back issue selection like I do or we do with our 50 cent bin or our cheap bin. Yeah, you know? something you have to kind of grow into. Yes. So when you first started, you your initial plan was never really to serve the public at mass. I remember us chatting and you saying, yeah, we just need to be in a position where people can find us if they want to sell us comic books. Oh. And I think that was a great path forward. Things changed because people really got into comics, right? right. So those collections didn't come in as often. But I think that's a very uh, astute way of looking at starting the brick and mortar, which is we're going into it with the plan to sell, not in store. And I think that's a big mistake some people make is I'm going to open a comic store and I'm going to sell to my immediate community. Those are the stores that largely close by year end, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And this is one of those things where a lot of people have this field of dreams mentality. If you build it, they will come. They won't. And that's kind of it. You have to give people a reason to leave the house to go and do this. I've talked to you before how most brick and mortars have a very small radius. If you have a shop, you are going to have 10 to 15 miles around you that if you don't have another store trying to take customers away from you, you're serving that community. Most people are not going to drive more than 10 or 15 miles to come to a brick and mortar store. If it's that far, they're going to buy it online. They're going to have it delivered to them. And COVID exacerbated this. So how do you expand your microcosm? How do you make your circle larger and serve more customers? You bring it online. We call it the World Wide Web because it is literally worldwide and you can get people all across the country. And that's why I think I was focusing so much on selling on eBay. But we happened to open in a great community with a good amount of disposable income. And there were a lot of people living in uh, the Mill Creek area that wanted to have a comic shop. We didn't have a comic shop that was close to where I opened. And we started growing an in-person community. So 
I made the decision to scale back on eBay selling, and I know it hurt us in some ways, and in other ways it gave us the opportunity to grow the in-person, the comic fam, local people, and then once we got, excuse me, a solid uh, foundation of those people coming in, we were able to re-expand to the rest of eBay. Yeah, and, and assist globally now, you know, being able to ship across the country, across the world with whatnots help. Obviously, the comic fam here, we owe a lot of our success to as well. Absolutely. Because in the middle of all of this, legit, almost halfway through your grind as an LCS owner, as you were trying to figure it out, you started marketing yourself heavily on YouTube with me, right. and, and that's when things started get, to get even better. So we do attribute a lot of our success to the the YouTube and Instagram um, comic community Definitely. for sure. But, you know, if you were to, to look back and do some things differently, would you say maybe the diversification that you were kind of forced to do, maybe being a bit more strict about what you focused in on was one of the, the biggest changes you would make? Or, you know, if you were to be asked by another comic store who's been doing this for five to 10 years and they're, they feel like they just aren't growing. They're not hitting strides. What would you recommend them do differently based off of your understanding of how the average comic store owner sells? Cause most comic stores are not online, right? Like don't get it twisted. Most stores are not doing social media. Oh, no. And the number of shop owners I talk to that don't even understand how to go on to Instagram or go how to make it, it. You can tell that these old school people are really running their shop in an old school mentality. There's nothing wrong with that. It just means that we have a target demographic that's entirely different. Now, Dale Carnegie always said, do what you love and the money will follow. And this is something that I've always tried to do. I love my comic books and I've been trying to do it so the money will follow. For a long time, I loved playing magic, which is one of the reasons why it made sense to start selling magic cards at the shop. But when I started diversifying into things that I didn't 100% believe in and didn't 100% understand, that's when I started noticing I got more frustrated with my business and I made less money because I didn't understand the product as well. It's tough to say, let's do Warhammer 40k if you don't know what the difference between a Space Marine and an Eldar Army is. It sounds like passion. It, right. it was necessary. You're able to be able to say, I love this and I can follow it and I can explain to people with the passion because there are people that are just going to open up and go, we're going to run Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments. We're going to run Pokemon tournaments. We're going to do this. Do you know what your favorite Pokemon is? I don't even know what a Pokemon is. Okay, cool. Then you probably shouldn't be running those tournaments. You know, don't be running Super Smash Brothers video game tournaments if you don't have someone there who knows what they're doing because you're just going to lose money and be frustrated at the end of the day and you'll start hating the rest of your business. So I want to get into um, pressing with you and we're going to dive into that next. But before we do that, there was an amazing thing that took place this past week. And I saw you in the chat on Whatnot. And we have to talk about it. I wanted to get your gut. Like, we haven't even chatted about I this. I got the notification, and you know I had to pop it. And it was one of those, I'm like, yeah, yeah, fine, yeah. I'm even, in there. <laughs> I'm springing this on you right now, comic fam. Hit the like, slap the subscribe button. We got the comic sensei in the house, Milgi Comics, Russ Bright. Again, available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or iTunes. And if you find us on iTunes, do us a favor. Give it a review. We have, over on the best new place to buy and sell collectibles, whatnot, an amazing store. That is over there. And I'm not, I'm not talking about my store. I'm not talking about Russ's store, even though our stores are fantastic. We have SMZ Comics. Shout out to my homies over there. And 
these are individuals who've been in the comic game for a long time, but they're on whatnot, kind of fresh. They're starting to grow their profile. And these are some elite dealers and they don't mess around. And to start things off with a bang, they brought out a 2.5 AF15 dollar star auction, no reserve on whatnot. And the price that it went for has people buzzing in the community for the wrong reasons. And I got to spell it out to the comic fam, Russ, because this is an amazing thing to take place. Mm -hmm. But also it means so much for the comic industry and whatnot. The price went for $30,000, all right? And we saw 2.5s exceed $45,000 in the last year. Mm -hmm. And the last 2.5 to sell on GPA prior to this whatnot sale was for like 34, 34, it was like 34 or $35,000, if I remember correctly. However, that 2.5, a lot of people didn't even look it up. It looked horrendous. Right. The actual Spider-Man face on that beautiful cover was faded. It was like it was erased a bit. So as far as eye appeal goes, this $30,000 sale in my book should have sold far above the recent $34,000 sale, at least breaking $40,000. In my opinion, $40K would have been a steal for this book and it sold for $30K. So this is what I wanted to bring to your attention and to the rest of the community's attention too. I have word from whatnot. This has publicly been announced that this seller had seller protection on this book. Mm -hmm. And what that means is if it sold for a agreed upon price, like under that agreed upon price, whatnot is going to make sure that seller is taken care of in efforts to bring sales like this to the app. They want to see high end books come to the app. And a lot of the you know, conversations that I've seen spawn out of this sale for $30,000 is don't bring your high end books to the app. And I think that is the wrong way to look at it. What's your gut response knowing that whatnot is putting money down, investing in sellers to bring these types of books to the app? Well, first off, these guys had cojones grandes to be able to bring this. Like <laughs> seriously, it was one of those things that I, I saw this going, you're bringing what? I figured they probably had some type of seller protection. It was about a month ago we had the 1 in 25 Jurdovic Ultimate Fallout 4 and a 9.8, and that went for, what, $34,000? It broke on, records. It did. It broke records so, on so, CGC. So there are big sales that take place here, yes. and, and it's good to go. If you're looking at some of the sports card sales that happen there, some of the sneakerhead sales, I mean, whatnot is a marketplace is way more than just comic books. There are things that sell there for a lot. There are graded Pokemon cards, speaking of Pokemon, that sell for a lot of money. It's nice that they are giving a safety net to some of these bigger books. I think that um, it is going to bring more people to the marketplace. I think that it will bring more eyes away from places like Heritage and Comic Link and Shortboxed. If you're going to be selling a graded book on a large auction house like Hakes, or if you're going to sell it on Whatnot, because there is that FOMO. The fact that there was a pre-bid of $20,000 that they cleared out and restarted it at a dollar. Fresh. Absolutely amazing. Like, I thought that was a great thing of them to do. Um, I wish they hadn't done a five-minute auction. I think they ended up losing a little bit of the steam and the interest in the room had they only done a one-minute auction. I agree. Because you and I both saw it went to $25,000 in about three seconds, 
and then it kind of stagnated, and then it went up a little bit, and then it hit 30, and then I left because I actually had a live sale to do because it had outtaken over five minutes, and it was at 30 when I left, and then it didn't end for much higher than that. So um, as far as the seller protection, great idea. I want sellers to understand that not all sellers are going to get seller protection. And you're not going to be at the point where you can just go up here and say, hey, I got a bunch of $20 books. And if they sell for $6, can what not make sure that, no. That's not how that works. Right? If you want seller protection, you got to be a big boy and you got to bring some big books. Now, if someone wants to bring their, you know, tech 27 and a 2.0, yeah. Let's get see in that. touch with whatnot. Maybe they want to see that on there. They absolutely may. We've seen Tyler Kirkham sell his own original art on there. For, art germs selling original art. And you're seeing these original art pieces. He did the, the cover, uh, sorry, Back to Kirkham. Tyler Kirkham did the cover for his Invincible. Yeah, the Battle Damage classic Absolutely. Books, yeah. And what did they go for? Over $10,000? Yeah, they were they were up there in price. And I that- was there watching those live bidding as well. And it is incredible. So the marketplace is there. The money is there. And I think that when Whatnot says, hey, sellers, we're going to make sure that you're not going to lose out on this. It only makes the community stronger. And that's going to make whatnot, a long-term selling marketplace. This is the idea. You want to get pillars of the community selling there with regularity. And by being able to say, hey man, we know that this book is worth $35,000. If it goes for less than that, we're going to make sure you get $35,000 out of it, right? That's the most important thing because that seller is going to have the confidence to go, I don't need to bring this anywhere else. I don't have to take it to eBay and go, I'm going to take a 20 cent on the dollar hit with an eBay selling fee. Absolutely. You know, it's much better. So I got to spell this out for the comic fan because something very important is taking place. There will be a time eventually that this is going to be commonplace that across the board, you're going to be able to get an AF 15 at an auction on whatnot. It takes some companies years and years to build up to being able to do that. And whatnot is putting money down to make sure that it happens as fast as humanly possible. In the meantime, what that means is whatnot is investing in their sellers, giving confidence to bring these once-in-a-lifetime types of deals to the marketplace so that the buyers benefit. And AF-15 selling for $10,000 under market doesn't mean don't bring your comics here. On the contrary, it means if you are an investor or interested in possibly getting deals on blue-chip comics, there is a place, the only place I know of in the marketplace that is selling them at times for under $10,000 under market, download whatnot, now is the time. There will be a point that you wished you were part of the community and were a member of whatnot during right now, the heyday, when it was assembling the sellers, bringing and acquiring the inventory so that long-term future sellers feel confident. But in the meantime, Download the app because an AF-15 hitting 30K in a market where that book, had that gone on Comic Link, oh, I bet that book would have broke from $45,000. Hot damn, Comic Fam. Download the best new app to buy and sell collectibles. Right now, we are in kind of like the promised land for when these books sell. Yeah, sometimes they're going to go for market. But sometimes they're going to go for far under market. Whatnot has protected the sellers, which means the benefit is 100% on the buyers. Someone this past week just got the deal of a lifetime. I definitely agree with that. Um, We have to keep in mind that Whatnot's been an app for a couple years, but 
the comic books has only really started growing the last six months. So if you go in there and you start looking at, like I said, the Pokemon feeds, if you look at the sports card box breaks, you regularly have a lot of the sports card box breaks that'll have 200, 300, 500 people in a feed. The only time we see 500 people in a comic book feed is when they're selling an AF-15. Most of the days you pop on right now, there's 60 or 70 people in some of the bigger feeds. Anytime you go right now, you'll probably see there's 80 people in a feed. That is how small of a percentage compared to building up the sports card breaks, right? So I think that right now, Whatnot is putting their money where their mouth is because they believe that they can be the number one largest market online, eclipsing every other person. And I really, I'm putting all of my energy behind it right now. I love selling on Whatnot. I enjoy being there. I enjoy doing this. And I think that we are just starting out. It's going to grow. So we're a sponsor, like this podcast is sponsored by Whatnot. You can hit the link in the description to follow my page or Russ's page on there. When I saw what this book was hitting, dude, I don't like to compete with the comic fam, especially during moments like this. And I was just like, oh, I got to figure out how to spend $30,000 right now. Like, oh my gosh, someone's going to get this for 30 grand. It was a deal. Like I'm looking at it wondering, I'm like, can I sell something? What can I, like, really, this would have been something that would have been worth buying at that price. It was was so low. I was shocked. So um, big, huge shout out to Whatnot for making that happen. Giant shout out to SMZ Comics. You guys know who you are out there and you're killing the game. And they're talking about bringing equivalent comics to the mic to do it again. This is a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for some of these books. I cannot stress enough to go on to whatnot, be present for these types of deals because they're happening. While the app grows its comic section, the buyers are going to benefit. Clear as day, point in case, AF15 just sold for 30K for a 2.5. All right, so another sponsor of the show that we have is an awesome company called Hero Restoration. You've seen... Mm-hmm. The kind of miracles that they do over there. Impressive, yes. I have talked about them like they are like chilling at Hogwarts. You know, they're doing some some brotherhood stuff. Alchemy is taking place behind the doors at the desk of these comic book artists. And I want to chat with you about pressing and cleaning because that's another thing that kind of, I don't know, it's like when we're not talking about comics and collecting and acquiring and trading and selling to one another – Well, the conversations go from that to like industry news to eventually, you think I can get this sticker off of this book? You know, (laughs) what do you think about this stain? How did you press this? Look at this mistake I made. And now that we have a team up with one of the best comic restoration artist companies, uh, pressing and cleaning companies, I thought it would be cool to start a brand new segment where we ask the expert about what used to be kind of a thing that people don't talk about, right? Right. Like, wouldn't you say pressing and cleaning? It used to be a thing where it's like, don't talk about it because you're going to let the secrets out. Well, and that's part of it. I I think part of it is that the guys who were pressing didn't want to tell anyone because, yes, it was their secret to make their books look better. But on the other side of it, there's all of this talk about restoration. And knowing that additive restoration 
is a negative thing. If you're adding ink to the book, if you're adding some paper to the spine, but if you're doing some type of subtractive restoration or even flattening it, which literally is just speeding up what would happen if it was pressed under a bunch of books for a long time, that's acceptable. So the fact that the conversation went from kind of a taboo and kind of this industry kept secret to, hey guys, go buy a t-shirt press. Let me teach you how to do it. There's YouTube videos of a lot of people who are trying to give pointers and not all of them are on point. That's right, which is why I think it's um, very exciting to hear that we have an expert who wants to discuss things, you know, some things have to be kept under wraps, sure. right? You know, there's, there's industry trade secrets, you know, we can't go into it too far. I don't even know a lot of these things, but there is a tremendous amount of individuals who are doing this at home. And with the amount of work that the community pays for, it is near impossible to get fast service anywhere, you know, let alone service for affordable, cheaper comics, you know? So Hero Restoration, I want to give a shout out to um, the company. We're going to chat with the um, owner, the founder, and one of the best comic restoration artists in the world. Enjoy. Comic fam, we got a treat for you. Guest for the first time on the show, Mike DeChalice, the leading comic book restoration technician in the cosmos of any multiverse, of any variant, in any timeline. And you asked the expert questions, and he is here on the podcast to discuss the answers. You have been doing this for over 10 years, Mike. So let me hit you with some questions. The first one is from J.R. Millie, too. What temperature should you press modern books at to keep them from sticking together? Okay, so comic books, modern comic books with the shiny pages, they want to stick together because of the polymers in the paper. And that's um, a new design that makes it hard to press books. But the key is to lower the temperature to uh, under 140 degrees. And you might think, oh, well, but 140 degrees won't press the book out because I've been taught it's 160, 170. No, modern book paper is constructed different. And what you'll find is every age paper requires different temperatures and variables. Um, and uh, moderns are some of the toughest books to press if they're in rough shape, like Ultimate Fallout 4, with the poly bag crease. Those are terrible, terribly hard. Uh, but the good news is most books are high grade, so you just gotta do a little bit and that'll do it. How long do you typically keep modern books on the press when you're dealing with them, Mike? Uh, hot or cold. Oh, good question. Let's say hot for now. Okay, so hot would be three minutes per side. There we go. What about a cold press? An hour. There you go. Comic fam, if you like getting this type of information, comment down below. We'll get Mike back on the channel. I want to ask you another fun question because Hero Restoration, you guys do some amazing witchcraft, alchemy. I, I, I damn near think you guys are Hogwarts over there. I've seen some of your posts where there is these very expensive covers detached from the inner book. I've seen these videos. Can you explain what that is. Oh, they're in this very video, Comic Fam, on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes. Mike is sitting in front of just covers of expensive paper. Why are their covers just sitting out? And 
Why do you have to separate them from their inner pages to do the most work you can to make them the, their best selves? Okay, so when you have low-grade valuable keys that need restoration, what we do is we try to take it from the lowest grade, like a poor, and get it to a reasonably high grade, like a very fine or near mint. And so what happens is with this sales is spent 39, uh, at this stage, it's been uh, cleaned, it's been leaf casted, which adds paper to the edges to repair it. And it's been uh, treated for uh, creases and is ready for color touch. Uh, and so that's the stage it's in. You can see here, there's a large amount of area that needs to be repaired. And most of the reason why this book is in is because it needs a lot of repair. When you get a little further in the process, like with this amazing Fantasy 15, you repair the off-white area of the book so that it looks like a very fine cover. And then when you get to the final stages of fixing the cover, you do, you fix every single detail until it looks nearly perfect. And then it'll get reattached to the pages and go into CGC to get a restored grade. Uh, and hopefully they'll give it, uh, um, you know, a top uh, uh, work uh, ethic grade. And uh, then the customer's happy. So this is going to uh, be reserved for just those books that are going to get restored. Your clients know that this is the case, but you're dealing with such expensive paper that it's worth it to them to have added paper and to have color touch because they're shooting for the sky. They're trying to get this comic book to go up tremendous amounts of grade points because once you go restored, it doesn't matter. You're going to the moon. Exactly. And the best example is the Amazing Fantasy 15. So uh, right now, what's most popular for restored books is Silver Age because the low grade doesn't look well. And the most popular book in Silver Age for restoration and actually for popularity is Amazing Fantasy 15. And so, for example, if uh, you have a Amazing Fantasy 15 that's uh, in poor condition or in restored low-grade condition, you're hovering around the $20,000, $25,000 mark. But if someone can charge you, say, $3,000 and get it into a restored 8.0 mark, then it becomes $40,000 in value. And so then you can see that your investment is a small fraction of the profit. And that isn't true for every book across the board, but uh, it is very true for Amazing Fantasy 15, Hulk number one, Fantastic Four number one, any of the early Silver Age keys that are in really terrible condition that need expert restoration to get in very nice condition will benefit uh, monetarily from the process. And uh, we love doing that, but then of course, 
pressing is still the most popular of all. And we press plenty of Amazing Fantasy 15s and the like. Comic fam, you've heard it from Mike, the technician, comic book restoration expert. Visit hrcomics.com. You know they're a sponsor of the show. Comment down below because we haven't even like gone into it a little bit about pressing dry cleaning and I want the comic fam to learn the whole process as long as they comment and let us know what parts they're interested in hearing about. I'm not just a repairman. I'm also a collector. HRcomics.com to submit your expensive paper to make your funny books their best selves. Now I want to keep the pressing and the cleaning conversation going Russ, because aside from our friendship it's developing because of you selling me comics and then me selling you comics and us getting collections and then us starting a show and all this stuff. We also have bonded because of comic book cleaning and pressing. This is something that you taught a lot of the stuff to me. And then I would learn from a lot of other experts, but mm -hmm. it's something we both do all the time. And it's something I don't think we'll ever stop doing. What do you think? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, this is one of those things that, um, for me to be able to get a book and look at it and go, can I make this better? Even if it's something as simple as it's got a water damage, it's got a crinkle, it's got pencil writing happens all the time. You know, I mean, it, it, it's pretty, pretty common that you get a book that someone has written their name on or in and even just going, all right. What type of eraser do I use and how do I do this to make this get the pencil writing just to not even to like sell it and make more money, but just, you know, improve eye appeal for my own personal collection. Absolutely. You know, the golden age guru, Jeff, he's a really talented artist. I think a lot of people may be surprised how good he is. He's like trained classically on yeah. some things. Um, I'm not an artist. I've tried. I've dabbled. It's not my thing. I don't enjoy it as much as some individuals do. And because of that lack of passion, I know that I can't really go the distance with it. But I feel like this may be my closest to artistry when it comes to, you know, the artwork of comic books, which is fixing the paper, you know, knowing what to steam, how to do um, the, the repair job, to do it in a way where you're not as you said, added things to it to get a restoration label, right. uh, a restored label rather. Um, but also just being able to help my homies when they have a book that they can't figure out how to fix, you know, just right. There are times where there is a book that I've had from you or guru or a friend that you're just fed up with and you know you can fix it, but you're like four or five presses in and you're like, I don't even want to see this book anymore. Nope, I'm done with this And you book. hand it over to me and say, just give it a shot. You right. Know? I've done that with John Hill as well. Yeah. Uh. You know? It's one of those things. Um, and also when you are getting into pressing and cleaning and that becomes part of the vocabulary, you know, you, you, you can hold a conversation with someone else who does that because you do it often. Right. It's a whole layer. It's like a subcategory of the collectible hobby. You can talk all day long with me about Silver Age comics. And then we can have a completely separate conversation, same length, about fixing Silver right. Age comics. And that's how it is for a lot of cleaners and pressers. We know a lot of experts over the years. And I'm, there's, there's one who's been on the show even. And we'll have conversations amongst us three. And he's breaking down how he's using these random new tools that he has discovered 
to overcome problems in comics that we would have never thought could be fixed. Well, the biggest thing about this, I mean, without going too far into it, this is a daunting process. And people can talk and talk and talk. But really, if you want to get into pressing, if you really want to do it, go and buy a press. Start. The only way to get any better is practice. Keep in mind that you're probably going to mess up 20% or more of your books in the very beginning. You're going to press them too hot. You're going to press them too cold. You're going to steam them too much. You're going to steam them too little. You're going to rip the cover. I mean, it just happens. Be prepared to have a nice stack of books that you're willing to mess up before you go after your Avengers number four. Looking at you, Jeff. I actually explained <laughs> to Ryan on the mic what a comic booger was. <gasps> okay. Because Hero Restoration showcased a book that had been pressed by someone else or rather laid flat on a comic booger and caused an indent on the top pages. And it's something you have to do. So you have to go through each page by page and make sure there's nothing on there because you can make a problem much worse. I, I go through pad every single book on the cover, the front, and the back. And if you feel any bumps, you have to go through, find out what page that little... Dog ear, anything. It is. You have to find where that is and remove it because if you press it, you will make it a tougher press job if you didn't take the time to rub the outside and just make sure you get all those little pieces of lint, dirt, hair, whatever boogers off. So one of the things that I have recommended to a lot of individuals who have asked me, it's, it's recommendations of how to get good at something, whether it's buying, selling, repairing comics, growing your Instagram. I mean, the, the requests are, are sure. endless. And I try to help out. You know, follow me at Comic-Ton 101 on Instagram. I try to respond to everybody within a week. Um, but there is one go-to thing that I have recommended, and they were both advice, you know, the tidbits of advice that you have bestowed to me. <laughs> whether you thought of it as a sensei act or not, that's what it ended up being. The first, which we kind of mentioned in this podcast, was knowing your price guide. Mm -hmm. Before Key Collector, it was a lot harder. Right. But there was a point where you, you know, sold me an Overstreet. Yeah. And you said, you want to know comics? Learn this. Yeah. And there were months where I would be in my apartment chilling with the people that I was living with at the time while they were doing things, a lot funner things than I was doing. To them, I was enjoying it. Right. And I would sit on the couch and read the Overstreet Price Guide. Mm -hmm. And I would legit, it's like reading a damn dictionary. Right. You know, tiny text you're going through. And you told me, you got to know your price guide. Know your X-Men. Know your Spider-Man. Right. Know your Batman. As soon as you know that, learn them better. And then keep adding to that. Know your detective comics, you know. Mm -hmm. Know your Superman. There's a lot of books that aren't worth much. And fortunately with Key Collector, it, it scrubs that for you. So you only know the important ones. But back then, you had to know them based off of the, the, the Overstreet. Right. And the Overstreet wasn't even 100% accurate at the time, mm -hmm. right? So there's always things that you had to learn beyond that. So Overstreet, know your price guide, download your Key Collector, you know, like know your key books at least. Right. You'll get dangerous. So that's the first recommendation that you that you really laid out to me. It was one of the first things you told me. You handed me the book and you said, know this stuff. By the end of that year, I would have tabs that I would make for my own Overstreet. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is where ASM is. And I would go to my tab and I would have notes. Pages were freaking falling out of that mm -hmm. thing. I get my spiral bounds just because I knew how easy it was to tear them out the next time. Yep. You know, so, you know, oh, where's my X-Men? I have X-Men over there and I have it in the book. I have uh, these 20 pages of loose paper, 
that were all, you know, mm-hmm. taped together because I just, I needed to have a portable one and I needed to have my books. So know your price guy, know your key books. That was the first recommendation. And I appreciate you providing that. The second time was about pressing and you said it, you're going to mess up a lot of books. Yep. You're going to need to press different kinds of books, different mistakes. There's not an answer for every press you do, every mistake you fix. You have to kind of go through your Rolodex of opportunities you had, things that you tried, your experiments, and go, you know what? The last time I messed with a Silver Age book from this time frame that had a similar defect like this, it worked doing these types of things, right? Do you remember when you gave me my first press? Because you had upgraded yes. what you gave me to accompany that press. Mm-hmm. A full long box of water damaged Practice fungi. On these. Yeah. Just this, Nick this is awful. Fury. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Beautiful key books that were so gross. Yeah, they, they all stinky. had a weird, awful, stainy ring on them. Yep. And you said, press all of these. I don't <laughs> care what happens. Right. Learn it. Yep. And dude, it was one after the other. You gave me even the uh, parchment paper to use. Right. And that's what I did for months. And I would take them back to you and you go, yeah, you know, I think this is the best it could be. Right. But you would also point out, oh, I mean, I think this one's a little too hot because it's uh, the, the paper. It doesn't, you need to get a steamer. Okay. Right. Let's, let's get you some steam. Yep. Let's revive the, the, the paper a little bit. So both of those things were major moments in my comic grind of getting better at certain aspects that I feel like I'm yeah, professional now doing. But you said it right. You got to put the time in. You got to practice. Because if that's what I had to do, and you were kind of just laying it out for me, you, you, you said, here, here's the overstreet. Learn it. And I'm like, I don't, okay, I'm going to learn that. Here's a long box of Silver Age. Fix them. Right. Most people don't have that opportunity happen. So I'm assuming the way you figured it out was well, how most people had to figure it out because they didn't have a sensei. You figured it out the hard way. I made a lot of mistakes. And, and before then, if you remember before I even opened the store, I used to go to every single Goodwill, every single half-price books, and buy whatever books I thought I could sell for more. And a lot of those books, especially at half-price books, had price stickers on the front. So before I on even started themselves. pressing, yes, like literally on the comic itself. So before I even started pressing, I got really, really good with a razor blade and some naphtha or some goo gone or some like light you know, fluid. rubbing alcohol. Like... Everyone has a different thing that they do to remove the sticky from the labels. And I removed thousands and thousands of stickers from covers. And you get it wet and you wait and you scrape it. And sometimes the ink comes off the cover and sometimes it doesn't. And the number of times that I had something like a Hellboy Wild Hunt number one, you're like, I can sell this for 25 bucks. And you scrape off the price tag and you go, price tags, damn. And you just, it's worth nothing. And you throw the book away. Yeah, you, you know, dollar bin, quarter bin book totally. right there. Um, so, so comic fam, if there's one thing to to uh, bestow, something to to give you as far as my advice of my experience with this guy, is that there's a lot of LCS owners who have this kind of knowledge just sitting there, just sitting there, man, and they don't, you know, they don't tell this to people a lot, and the only way that you can really uncover this information and get your, your sensei per se is to go to your LCSs to network and, and to spread that comic karma. I'm sure there's a lot of people at your, that, that frequent 
Milgi Comics that that call Milgi Comics their LCS that have learned a hell of a lot from you. Mm -hmm. And all it took was them picking up their damn comic books on time. Oh, yes. <laughs> right? Pick up your comic books. And if you want a longer conversation, like I said, just bring me a latte. You know, <laughs> we can sit down, pick my brain. I'll, I mean, I'll answer questions. Most people get this idea of a comic book curmudgeon, someone in the back room shaking their fist at them. No, most of us are really, really accessible. And all of the guys that I've been talking to over the 35 years I've been collecting in Seattle, I have relationships with almost all of the shop owners that I've been shopping at since, again, the late 80s, early 90s. And a lot of these guys are still in the game and they're still doing what they're doing. And yes, these are the relationships that we forge now and they carry us into the future. Yeah, and they're friends from way back when, 20, 30 years ago, and now they're 20 to 30 years more dangerous, right? sharper, <laughs> better at every part of this comic game that we're in. Mm -hmm. All right, so one other thing that we got to chat about today, but brother, is that there's this Kickstarter that's ending here, and I got to highlight it again. Ryan and I, we chatted about it a couple weeks ago, but Dynamite Comics has released a Kickstarter for the boys' collection of Omnibus. There are three of them. The entire collection that includes the initial run by Garth Ennis, but also includes Herogasm and the um, Billy the Butcher uh, short narrative in comics that took place. So they, they sandwich everything in. It's like 90 plus issues across three hardcover books. And this is why I love Dynamite Comics is that they have this IP that's so respected and so popular right now. And they can do what they think is right for the original run. And right now we're in boys season three. So they thought no better time than to make hardcover omnis for the boys fans and this is being released and there's only about a week at the time of this filming left for members to back it but i had to go one step further because they've already funded it which is very exciting it got mm -hmm. funded in minutes and this right here is another opportunity to get some scarce variants that they're producing for the run one of which is Herogasm number one that made the trending list just last week after Herogasm debuted in the show. And oh, did it debut. Herogasm number one, which is the first appearance of Soldier Boy, we even brought to press as a mail call exclusive with Johnny Desjardins. And given that we just got done talking about Herogasm for like, what, the fourth or fifth time in oh, the last yeah. two years, we only have about a week left, and I want to... Make sure the community knows that there is this amazing Kickstarter that's taking place. This is not sponsored or anything. We're just diehard fans of Dynamite. Shout out Nikki B, Vincent, and Vince over there. But they're also making Virgin Variant Comics as an add-on that I didn't mention in the last podcast. So if you're a fan of these omnibus books, number one, it's three volumes. They're all over 800 pages and it collects everything you would ever want from the boys. Sure, those are for your shelf. Those look great. You're going to be able to read all of them. But the best part about Kickstarter is always the add-ons. And the fact that they have an add-on of three separate virgin copies is what I really think people need to be focusing on. If you've already Kickstarted the Omnibus, go back and edit your pledge because who doesn't want a Herogasm number one with a virgin cover? Who doesn't want the amazing Butcher Baker number one or Highland Laddie with the great Huey cover? Like, these are really 
cool. And the fact that Herogasm number one has made it on the trending 10 list multiple times, how many of those do you think were printed? How many do you think they're going to print of this virgin one? If they're going to keep it limited to this Kickstarter only, I'm assuming there's going to be less than a thousand copies of this book made. If you're a fan of Herogasm, if you're a fan of the boys show, this is definitely going to be the book you want to get. Link in the description, back this Kickstarter, grab some virgin comic books, and as always, geek responsibly. Enough said. And that was podcast number 65.